0: Let's pray once more. Father, we come to the center of everything now, the center of history, the center of the Bible, and the turning point the fulcrum, the fulcrum upon which every human life either rises or falls. We come to the point. We come now to the point of everything, the point of human history. We come to the point of what you're doing in the world. This is it. So I pray today that you would make your word clear to us. I pray that you would make that which is very, very familiar to become three-dimensional, fresh to us. Please make the old, old news new again. For those who are hearing it for the first time, I pray that you would make it clear. I pray that you would do a supernatural work. In them, in me, in us. Pray that you would come now. Pray that you would um, send your spirit to work in each one of us the way that each one of us needs. I thank you that, um, I mean, the, the, the world. You didn't have to be so good as you are here. You are God. You are in charge of everything. But you are good. Let us see your goodness in your word today, I ask. So clear away all distractions, I ask, and, um, and make Christ compelling and clear to us now, I ask. Amen. Well, after... The long walk, Jesus has finally come to the cross. As we've seen all the way through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been dead set, dead set on coming to Jerusalem. And now he's here. Here's the point He's been convicted, as we saw last week, by pretty much everyone Jews and Gentiles, the elites, and the common man. He's been betrayed by his close friend and left alone by the rest of the disciples. And now in the passage before us today, he goes to the cross. The passage, Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43, um, it's it split up into three movements, like, like three acts of a play. But By the way, if you're new to the Bible, the big numbers of the chapters, the little numbers of the verses. Um, and the first act in verses 26 to 31 is Jesus completing his walk to the cross. It started with his baptism now he's here, and he's followed there by three groups of people. The second act is the cross itself, verses 32 to 39, where he is mocked by three different people. And the last movement is, or his, the last act is his conversation with a crucified criminal in verses 40 to 43, where he tells that man three crucial truths. These three groups of three, they're, they're an ancient way of communicating that, that Luke is using here to say that what is happening here is complete. It is strong. The strongest shape in the universe is the triangle. And, and what is happening here, the, the meaning here, is, is as strong as the universe itself But what what is happening here? That's the question. That's the thing that Luke wants us to see. The the cross itself is in verse 33, and it is described ever so briefly. And he was crucified. (laughs) Um, We we saw how in the Garden of Gethsemane that that had far more detail about Jesus' suffering there because it's... Luke is not writing this to sensationalize the act of the crucifixion, but to emphasize its meaning. Its meaning. Anyone can say Jesus died on a cross. Even the demons say that. Luke wants us to understand the meaning. Christians glory in this this instrument of torture, of Roman torture, not because we're sadomasochists, but because of what God accomplished on the cross. So I, I want to make three observations today to, to put that meaning um, before us in three parts. Jesus' cross was, number one, for others. It was, number two, for forgiveness. And it was, number three, for reversal and return. For others, for forgiveness, and for reversal and return. So let's, let's see that now. Number one, it was for others. The the cross was for others because, as we see here, Jesus is utterly, completely a man for others. We see this in the first act. With with little strength, Jesus has left from being beaten and whipped. He walks to his execution, and he's so weak, physically speaking, that one Simon of Cyrene, verse 26, who's just arrived from the country, has to be pressed into service to carry his cross Cyrene was a city in northern Africa where Luke himself was from. It's possible that Luke and Simon actually compared notes. Little does Simon know, as we will see, that he becomes here a living picture of discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. But Jesus is also followed by the crowd and by mourning women in verse 27. In short, there's just people everywhere. Every scene is just chocked full of people. And in a normal human story, at this point, we would expect the hero here to profess his innocence and to denounce his persecutors and to, to defend himself. But Jesus says nothing, nothing on his own behalf. Nothing. Instead, he warns the women, verses 28 to 31, with these, with these few final breaths, he essentially says, don't mourn for me, because you will have far worse suffering coming soon if you do not repent. You, you sweet, holy ladies who are doing your job to, to mourn for me, you will suffer if you do not repent if this suffering that, that befalls me, a, a pure green piece of wood, if, if, if this kind of suffering befalls me, imagine the, the greater fire that will burn you, the, the sinful, unrepentant wood, the dry wood. Imagine imagine being one of these women. They, they think they're, they're giving Jesus some something here, but Jesus gives to them the most crucial bit of information that they could ever hear. You too need to repent. In just 40 years, Jerusalem will burn so hot from the Roman armies that, it, as, as the historian Josephus wrote, that the gold of the temple would melt and run like water between the great stones. And so it will be, as the book of Revelation says, at the end of the age, for those who do not repent, so do not mourn for me, mourn for yourselves. This is one of these moments where we, we, we pay attention to people's final words you know, in life. We humans think that that's, that's really important. What, when someone just has a few breaths, left? What, what are their final words? Here are Jesus' final words, for others, warning, warning, others. Even here, Jesus is a man for others. Then they take him with two other criminals, verse 32, and they crucify him, verse 33. If you're not familiar with crucifixion, um, this was a Roman practice of nailing the hands and the feet to a rough-hewn wooden cross. This is much more um, smooth than what it would have been. And the person would hang there completely naked and would die by asphyxiation. Um, They would die by the weight of their own body. But being crucified even here on the cross, Jesus is for others. Verse 34, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive who? Father, forgive the soldiers who nailed him there. Father, forgive, verse 34, the soldiers who are in right now, this very moment, throwing dice to see who gets my clothes. Forgive them. Forgive the rulers who, verse 35, mock him and the bored soldiers who scoff at him. Verses 36 to 38. Forgive Judas, forgive Pilate, forgive Herod, forgive Caiaphas, forgive the crowd who yelled, crucify him, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even as that cross steals his final breaths, Jesus is a man for others. Jesus uses those precious moments of oxygen to speak to the Father for others. And even for the most obviously guilty, he's hung between two actual criminals. The first criminal takes his cues from the rulers and the soldiers who mocked Jesus, which is probably how he got to the cross in the first place. Taking his cues from the rulers of this world, which begs the question, who do you take your cues from in life? So he too, pathetically hanging there on the cross, mocks Jesus, verse 39 But the other criminal rebukes him, verse 40, and he he admits that he and the other guy, we we, we deserve to be here. We deserve to be here, but, but not this one. Jesus, verse 41, is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. Exactly, exactly. He is innocent. And so this man has one last request for Jesus. He sees better than anyone in that moment who Jesus is. It is as if the, the the clarity of his final moments God has granted him in his crucifixion the ability to see Jesus for who he is and so he simply says he doesn't say king he doesn't say lord he simply says Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom And by this point Jesus probably has breath left for about two sentences in his life two sentences and he uses half that breath on others, on a guilty criminal. We don't know what he did. Let's just assume, he's, he said, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be hanging on a cross. Let's just assume, make it up to date, someone that we just assume shoot these days, you know, a, a racist pedophile, you know, that, that's who this guy is. Jesus says to this guilty criminal, a racist pedophile, wh- wh- whatever he did, "Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." <laughs> Jesus was a man for others. And thus his cross was not for himself, not at all. Not to make him out to be a hero, not, not, not to set an example, it, it was for others. It was for others. Jesus is the ultimate giver, giving over his body and his life for others, for all the people there, for all of them, for all of us, for all humanity. What you see here in this passage is is a man beaten, as Isaiah 53 puts it, beyond human recognition, and yet at the same time is, is the only one here, the only one who is truly human, truly human and yet at the same time most like God because here is what it looks like to be sane and secure, to be human. To be so sane and secure that you can simply give your life away, to live your life for others. To be so full, so secure that you can completely forget yourself in the service of others. That's what it means to be human to be alive, to be whole. Well, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this? How how did he get to this place? You say, well, he's Jesus. You know, he's he's like winning the the be nice Olympics here. Father, forgive them. No, no. Jesus also knew how to take a whip and literally clean out the temple. (laughs) Jesus isn't winning the nice Olympics here. He is able to do this because he is truly innocent. Jesus is perfectly wholly human. He is wholly human because he is innocent. He is the Christ, meaning he is the one called by God to be the Savior, and he's the king who has this moment, as as we will see, creating a new kingdom. But the the engine engine of, of what he is doing here is that he is innocent. When you are innocent, you have nothing left to prove. There's there's no need to defend yourself. You are innocent. You are whole. There's no defense needed for you. When you are innocent, you are finally once again human, and you are free, free to live a life That does not involve constantly justifying myself and defending myself. Free to live from from living to to fill that gnawing, hungry hole within your soul. You're free from living and serving the triune God of me, myself, and I. You're free. Free to live in love to others. When, When you have everything, you are free When you are innocent, you are free, free to live for others. Jesus is the man for others because he is pure, because he is righteous, because he is innocent. Because he's innocent. And he is leading a people into his new humanity, into this new humanity of freedom, of innocence and of new ambition, as we will see, an ambition to live for others, which is why, because he's leading a people into this new humanity, not just for himself, for others. That's why he had to die. He didn't just come to give us a good example and then wag his finger at us and say, you better be nice to others just like me. No, we, we, we do not have the, the innocence that we have. If he had done that, that would have been so cruel because we don't have his innocence. We don't have this freedom to live for others the way he has. We are, we are in bondage. We are weighed down by our guilt, as we will see. So Jesus died to give us his innocence, his righteousness. And this is the second meaning behind the cross. It is for others because it was for forgiveness to bring us this innocence, true forgiveness because every last person in this narrative is burdened with the guilt of sin the simon the the supposedly holy women who were mourning at the beginning the progressive elite rulers the conservative patriotic soldiers the convicted criminals and just the average joes who were just walking down the street saying what's all the commotion all everyone is burdened with guilt We're, we're all awash in guilt to this day I could demonstrate this theologically, but, but let's just simply look out into the world. Look out into the world. Let's think about, I don't know, two girls on TikTok in a high school hallway starting to yell at each other and then literally trying to rip each other to shreds while everyone else is laughing and videotaping it. There, there right there, is, is a picture of humanity's state that, that we are all burdened with guilt and so we, we project that. We project that guilt onto others and we condemn others. And, and the burden the burden of that guilt pushes us down into the dust and makes us less human and more like animals, vicious animals. We are awash in guilt and we, we project that guilt onto others and our, and our condemnation and our animalistic wanting to rip them apart. It's why during COVID, our, our world became so deathly afraid of death to the point of, of things that people never thought they would be about before, rabid censorship and, and twisted control of others because we are so built burdened by guilt. That's why we fear death so deeply, why we're willing to do things we never thought we would do before. Um, it presses us down. It presses us down. Our, our guilt shows itself in how despite all of our technological advances, we are as much like the animals or even more so than our forefathers. Sexually, militarily, relationally, on the roadways in marriage court in political debates we have declined we are more like the animals than we are humanity the humanity that we were designed for and and that the weight that, that pushes us down and makes us like the animals and pushes us down eventually to the grave is guilt 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 yes guilt guilt before each other but but guilt even more so before god and you say well i, well, I don't i don't feel guilty Well, that No one asked you how you feel because in in every sin, God is the one most offended. He is the creator. He is the giver of life and therefore in every sin, he is the one most offended. When good Simon Coming in from the country the day before made a little white lie, God was most grieved. When those sweet mourning women gossiped and slandered others earlier that morning, that Passover day, it was God's image that was defaced. When rulers abuse people to keep their power and act as though they, they are God's, God is the one indeed most mocked. When a patriotic conservative makes, makes duty and family into gods themselves, God is the one most offended. And when criminals abuse and hurt people, God himself is the one abused and hurt and grieved and angered far more than anyone else. There, there is a guilt that weighs us down and it, and it does not first touch on our feelings because it is an objective guilt, a vertical guilt between us and God. God is the one most offended and it is there, it is objective, and you see it, you see it, and it explains so much of what's happening in the world. It is there everywhere, pushing us down. And so, so, we all, we, we all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. You and I must be forgiven. This is the only way to become human again. The only way. And so Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus asks this of the Father because, again, not because Jesus is just like being awesomely nice. Jesus is asking this of the Father because at this very moment, as he hangs on the cross, Jesus is providing the very ground upon which the Father might justly forgive Why the Father might be just and fair in forgiving. Because Jesus being innocent and perfect is making for us himself to be the perfect sacrifice before God. In the the very first Passover, the people of God were commanded that they would go get a lamb without blemish. Without blemish, without spot, without imperfection. And that lamb would be sacrificed so that the households which were covered by the blood of that lamb would be passed over in judgment. And so now, in this last Passover, Jesus has become that spotless lamb. He is, as Isaiah fifty three seven prophesied, he is the lamb that is led to slaughter in order that Isaiah fifty three ten to make an offering for guilt, fifty three eleven to make many to be accounted righteous by bearing our iniquities in this moment as jesus goes to the cross and hangs there there is a great exchange happening god the one most offended is is laying all of the guilt for our sins upon jesus and all of his righteousness all of his innocence in the eyes of god the one most offended by every sin all of that innocence and righteousness is being accounted to us to those who believe who believe on jesus the reason why it is faith is because jesus does it all it is complete it is strong it is whole what he's doing here there is no other sacrifice needed not by you not by anyone else it is complete it is whole it is finished This is how you and I become like Jesus. We we all want to become more human. Some people do that by modifying their bodies. Some people do that by working out. Some people do doing that by, by getting a different spouse. Some people do that by getting a different job. Some people do that by getting a new gadget. Some people do that by, by getting a new car. The, 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 There's all kinds of ways that we want to improve ourselves and to make ourselves become more human. But the the door, the way that you and I become fully human is becoming innocent. And the only way that that innocence comes to us before God is by receiving the innocence of the one who's been sacrificed in our place, bearing our sin upon himself on the cross. And when you have this forgiveness, then you have nothing left to prove. You have nothing left to defend yourself for. You are cleansed. You are forgiven by the judge. You have nothing left to prove. I mean, not for yourself anyway. Not for yourself anyway, but you are left with a new ambition, a new ambition to prove to the world how good this God is, How, how full and perfect his love is. Free to live with a holy ambition, not for yourself, but with a holy ambition to love God and live for others. And it all starts with forgiveness, the forgiveness that is found only in this sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could possibly satisfy God, God himself, Jesus, satisfying God. That's why it's so perfect. God come in the flesh, come in the blood and that flesh and blood given for us to God in Jesus. So all of this, all of this leads us to the final point. Jesus lives and dies for others, for our forgiveness, for forgiveness. But even that is not God's end game. Did you know that God's end game is not just that you would be forgiven, you and I. God's end game is not just to clean us up and make you a new and improved, pious little b- Good little boy, you. God's end game is reversal and return. To reverse the curse and return us to paradise. To eternal and abundant life. I, I get this from two bookend words, two key words from this text. They might have stood out to you. The first is in verse 33. In the name of the place where Jesus is crucified. It's called the place of the skull. It was an exposed rock that literally looked like a skull. And um, the second word is the last word, verse 43. When Jesus tells the criminal that today you will be with me in paradise. It's a very peculiar word. It's, It's the word that the Greeks would have used to translate the word Eden, the garden. These two words connect because there in the garden in Genesis, God spoke two crucial things to Adam and Eve. First, if they sinned by eating of the tree, they would die. Well, did they die immediately? No, but they came under the curse of death. They would die. So will we. But then after Adam and Eve's fall, God promised Eve that one day one of her offspring would crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent would injure his heel. And so when the Roman soldiers lifted up, hammered those nails into Christ, and lifted up his cross, and lifted up his cross, and dropped it into place on that rock called the skull it was as eve as if that offspring of eve had finally come and driven a stake into the skull of the serpent finally broken the power that evil has over us the power of guilt the power of condemnation and the power of the fear of death That's why our world does so many things that it does because we feel guilty, because we feel condemned. We know it within ourselves and we fear death and we do anything to avoid it. That runs the whole world and Jesus, when his his cross dropped into that skull, he fulfilled what God promised in the garden and he broke that power. The curse of death. And so... Guilt and death have no claim on us anymore if we trust in what Jesus did to break that curse, if we receive that forgiveness. But there's more, as the telemarketers say. When the first Adam sinned, he was cast out of paradise, out of the garden. But now Jesus has become the second Adam to lead us back to paradise. We lost our innocence, and then we lost paradise but Jesus has come to give us back our, our innocence, but more than that, to lead us back to the garden, back to paradise. There's a, there's a famous book called uh, the, um, the Lost Domain. It was written by a French soldier just before World War I, and it's, it's basically the novel version of the, the phrase that we have, you, you can't go home. You can't. You know, have you ever heard that phrase before? You, you want to go back home. That home that you have envisioned in your mind, but that home doesn't exist anymore. You, you can't go home. the The, the song, is, uh, excuse me. The, the book is is it drips with with this human ache that we all have. We all long, even though you can't go home. We still long for home. We still long for home. We still long for the the the, the pleasures of home, the peace of home, the the sweet beauties of home. Even if you grew up with a terrible home, you you somehow still have this ache within you, this desire within you for home. That's what Jesus died to bring us to. Not just to forgive us, but to lead us on a new exodus home on a new exodus home. I use that word advisedly because if you remember in Luke 9, verse 31, in his transfiguration, this glorious moment where Jesus is robed in majesty and glory and two people show up, Moses and Elijah, and they're talking to Jesus. And Luke records the one thing they wanted to ask Jesus about was his exodus that he is going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Well, here it is. Here is this exodus. Jesus is leading his people on a new exodus out of the darkness of guilt and sin, not just to forgive us, but to lead us to paradise, just like this criminal, to lead us to paradise. And along the way, out of of faith, out of that innocence, and out of that hope of paradise, we will gain everything. We live along the way, like Jesus, for others for others so what what about you what about you if you have not been forgiven again Luke Luke uses like zero emotional manipulation with his readers he's like Jesus was crucified so I said I'll do the same with you no emotional manipulation here just if you're not a Christian you must be forgiven you must be forgiven. Be forgiven. Have the weight lifted off. There it is. Trust in Christ. Be forgiven. Enter this new humanity that you've been searching for everywhere else money, sex, power, stuff, people, whatever. You've been searching for it your whole life. Here it is. The window, the door that you must walk through, though, is by receiving the forgiveness that Christ won for you on the cross. Take it, it's there. Um, so what about you, a Christian? For, for you, Christian, there is an entire constellation or galaxy of applications here that we, we could make because this is the very center of our lives. This moment, this is the very center. But I, so let's just consider a few stars of the, in this constellation of application. The, the first is this. As I said earlier, this entire passage is the template for discipleship for following Jesus. Discipleship looks like living for others in love out of being freed by forgiveness while living in the hope of paradise. Living for others in love, having been freed by forgiveness, living in the hope of paradise. Believing that that when I give something away in this life, I'm not losing anything. Because I already have, I already possess everything in the coming paradise. Believing that. But the key, the key that fires all of this, the, the ground of it, the, the engine of all of this is a living in the forgiveness of Christ for you, Christian, for you. The, the gospel was not just for you to have you know, your, your get into heaven card. The, the gospel is how we live our lives now. we We preach the gospel to ourselves so that we walk in this forgiveness, so we walk in this new identity day by day. To put this another way, the reason why you don't love, the reason why you are, though a Christian, consumed with yourself, the reason why you don't look like Christ is because you are not walking in the forgiveness of Christ. You are burdened by unforgiven sin and it weighs you down and it crushes you in the dirt and it makes you all about you. It curls you into yourself. And that's why so many Christians, so many Christians in our land, their version of Christianity is, I love me some me and maybe God's here to help me with that. Part of the problem is that churches have not taught, have been, have been afraid because, because we, we want to attract people in, so we've been afraid to talk about things like guilt. Oh man, so negative. What a negative message. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Man, how many times in this sermon are you going to say the word guilt? Come on. Get positive. But but that's what weighs us down. That's what weighs us down. You cannot fight sin that pushes you down, that weighs you down by ignoring it, by pretending it's not there. The way you, you cannot fight unforgiven sin. It's too heavy, too sticky. I'll say that again. You cannot fight unforgiven sin. The moral of this message is not, you better try harder to be like me, Jesus says with a crunch. No, no, no. no. No, we Christians must live in forgiveness. To put all of this another way, the, the way we are saved is the way that we walk in the power of Christ. We, we are saved by faith in the gospel, and we walk in the power of Christ to live for others by faith in the gospel, by preaching the gospel to ourselves, that we are righteous, that we are innocent, not by us, but by Christ. But too many Christians put the gospel on the shelf and live out, instead, live out of a self-identity of self-achievement and self-effort and self-love and self-feeding. Self, self, self. And too many times, we, we Christians, we pile on, Onto that guilt, more sin, sin after sin after sin, and we make a mockery of the gospel. We, we consume media too shameful for me to talk about in church, and 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 then we or, or we read romance books that are filled with the same filth, and then and then we walk around and we wonder why am I so sluggish? Why am I so burdened? Oh, why? Some of us have, have more in common with, with the rulers and the soldiers mocking Jesus than we do Christ, Monday through Saturday. And, and the weight of the, of the shame of, of the guilt of those sins, it's not, in a way it's not really the sin, it's the, it's the guilt of those sins that pushes you down until you're basically useless for the kingdom. There I said it. But for those who walk in the gospel and, and see, they look at the cross and they see how serious sin is and how awful are the consequences are of sin, you live. I say this in love for you, okay? I don't, I don't know everybody here, but I mean, I, I love you. And, I, and I, I don't want you to get to your final moments in life, to your final breaths, and only then discover, oh goodness, sin is so heavy. Oh goodness, the consequences of sin. I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. I want you to live, to live in the resurrection of Christ. So we must take up Jesus' offer here of forgiveness and walk in it, walk in it, and then give it to others. The first way, the primary way that we then will live for others is by granting forgiveness, having received it for ourselves. And and, and let me say, in particular, where this will really show itself is in marriage. A normal Christian marriage involves the repeated, common, everyday confession of sin and granting of forgiveness, How often in the last month, if you are married, have have you or the other person granted forgiveness to the other? It's a sign. Think about it. Think about it. Because that is the primary first way that we live for others in Christ by giving the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. Is that you or not? Question. Question. Because when you, when you receive this forgiveness and you walk in it as an identity that I am I am in Christ, I'm, I'm shrouded by His righteousness, I'm covered by His blood, I'm led along by Him to paradise. Those, those who figure this out, you discover something. You don't have to live in your marriage or in your workplace to justify yourself any longer. You, you don't have to be defensive and, and grabber and demanding of other people. Why? Because you have everything in Christ, forgiveness and a promise of a future, of home, of paradise where you've been, that you've been looking for everywhere else. Now you've found the way home in Christ. And so now all that's left for you, let, let's, let's take your workplace. Now all that's left for you is to love there. Now your workplace is no longer a place to prove yourself and to crush people down, but to love others. Or you're saying, I shouldn't have a, an ambition to do well. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, your ambition might actually be fired up even more now, but, but more so redirected. Redirected. Where now you live with an ambition and, and your work maybe actually improves because now you're doing it not for yourself but in love for others and people notice something about you. Wow, your customer service is like awesome these days. What, what's going on with you? Though people berate you and people call you a scumbag and people treat you like dirt, what, what is going on with you? Yeah, let me tell you, (laughs) let me tell you what I discovered. The gospel taught me, taught me how to be a giver, how how to give sacrificially for others. The gospel taught me, me, how to be a husband, how to love sacrificially, joyfully, how to take responsibility in love. The gospel taught me how to love my church and my world, not like a wimp, but with a holy ambition a holy ambition to love the way Christ loves me. You will never live for others. You will never be like Jesus by just hearing a sermon and walking out of here today and saying, oh boy, he wagged my finger at me. I better try harder being good and living for others. If that's what you get, you totally missed my point. This is a total waste of time. (laughs) You and I need transformation. We need new hearts. And that transformation only comes by both first believing for the first time in this forgiveness, but then walking in it day by day, preaching the gospel to ourselves. So our very identity, our very self identity, is defined by this. And we live in this freedom. We live for others day by day. Waking up, you wake up, and against all your fears and temptations and Self-loathing and lusts, you, you believe against all of those afresh that I have been forgiven, that I am cleansed, that I am innocent, that I am righteous before God. And more than that, he is taking me on his new exodus to paradise, and he will not let me go. I am loved that much today, Wednesday at 5 a.m. when I woke up too early. That's That's Christianity. That's what we do with the gospel. So, Christian, you, you cannot fight unforgiven sin. What, what is it for you? What area of your life are you trying to get improvement or victory over sin by your own self-effort? Where are you trying to get cleaned up first to come to God? Because what he wants you to do is to come to him with the mud and the stench of the pigsty that you were just in still on you. If you're not smelling, you're not doing it right. Right? Come, smelling. Be forgiven. Be free. Take hold of your inheritance. Live in it. Live in it. Be who you are. Forgiven, free. If you need help with that, call me. Let's talk. Seriously, with all discretion. With all discretion. I haven't heard everything, but I've heard a lot in life. Or find a friend. Find a friend in this church. But regardless, the freedom is there. Get it. Enjoy it. Then let me ask another question. Where, where, where in your life have you been trying to get home, to get paradise in the things of earth? Where have you been trying to get back to paradise through money or stuff or sex or power? People, whatever, whatever. We all, I have my own versions of this, we all do. Where is that for you? Maybe you need to declutter your life. Maybe you need to introduce forgiveness into your marriage for the first time. It's, it's awkward at first, but then after it's awkward, it's awesome awesome because it's freeing some of us have marriages that are like that look like my garage totally cluttered with unforgiven sin get it out time for a fire sale get it out or maybe you just need to redirect that thing maybe it's it's not having money that's your problem maybe it's where you direct it for yourself rather than for others Maybe the same is with the power you enjoy in your life or what you do in your marriage bed. Maybe, maybe ambition itself is not your problem. It's, it's where it's pointed. Maybe you need to redirect your ambition towards God and others. And when you go to do that, you, under, you need to then ask yourself, why, why is this working? And you need to remind yourself, oh yeah, I need the gospel. I need to remind myself of the gospel. But, but when you do that, when you remind yourself of the gospel, buckle up because God will show you Your your eyes will begin to see differently and you will see your world. You'll begin to see your your workplace. You'll begin to see your neighborhood, your church, your family differently. And he will show you where you've not been loving. The paths will be made clear. Very clear. As your ambition resets on others in the freedom of his forgiveness, watch out, watch out, because it will be very clear. And then one more thing. Here's what God will do. I guarantee you, God will bless it. Here's the part where I sound like a health and wealth prosperity gospel preacher. No, they, they sound like me. But see, the, the thing that God loves to just sit back and watch most in this world is when His Son is reflected in His people. And So when, when you begin to take hold of that forgiveness and walk in that and then begin to live for others and you, and you take one, two, three steps, watch out for God to just bless that to just bless it for the next 30 steps. Expect it. Watch it. Watch for it. Um, and with all those blessings, they're, they're, you'll realize you receive them with joy, and then your joy will be doubled because then you'll, you'll realize that they're only four tastes of paradise. They're only the hors, the hors d'oeuvres of the, of the great feast that is to come when we finally get home. We're finally home. Jesus is taking us there. Jesus is taking us there, that there is a paradise, there is home and Jesus is taking us there because He is the man for others. Granting us new life through forgiveness and His sacrifice. He is our He is our Christ who saves us, and He is our king who is taking us to a new kingdom, to a new place. He is taking us there. Rest in that. Hope in that. Live in that. Let me pray for us now. Let me pray for me first off. Father, I I pray that you would grant me faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. Grant me to understand more deeply how great is, is the gift that you have given me in your own self. Do that for all of us. Grant us to understand how great and awesome is the forgiveness that we have. How complete is your sacrifice. How unending your gift will be. Grant us faith. Grant us hope. And in the middle of faith and hope in paradise, grant us to live today in love. Grant us to be like you, Lord Jesus, people for others in the innocence that you provide for us. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being the God who is there. Praise your name. Get glory from our lives, I ask. Amen. Indeed, how beautiful is his grace. Um, Receive the benediction. Christian, you are are loved. (laughs) You are loved with the love that the Father would, would give his only son for you. And he who has given us his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's true for you. So go today, go resting and hoping and trusting in that truth. Your God loves you, loves you in Christ. Amen.